So I have the privilege of leading a mission agency called Crossover. And I was recently at one of our international leadership team meetings in Moldova. And Moldova is a little country in the former Soviet Union, Eastern Europe. And we weren't just meeting to talk about how to win the nations to Christ. We also took advantage of the opportunity to go into small villages and to share Christ with people. It doesn't make much sense to tell people you need to go share Christ if you don't do it yourself, right? So we're in this little village. We were several hours away from the main city where we had been having our meetings. And we spent the afternoon sharing Christ. We got back to the bus, which was parked in front of the little tiny church, the only church in that village. Village means like 5,000 people. Don't think of an Indian village. Think of a small, small little town, like Aquino Interior do Paraná, for example. And so the bus driver says, you know, if you need to go to the bathroom, it's probably a good idea to do it now. There's a bathroom in the church. I was like, yeah, maybe that is a good idea. So where's the bathroom? And he said, well, it's, it's around on the other side of the church. And so I started my little journey. It was fast because it was a small church. From the front of the road, I walked down the side of the church into the back of the church. And I didn't see actually a bathroom. I saw a garage. So I thought, well, I'll go in there. And when I say garage, that's being generous. Uh, it, it's kind of, it was just a wooden shack. But they had some equipment in there. So, so I walked into the garage and I thought, huh. And then I looked over to my left and I saw there was another little door. And I thought, well, it's, it's the only possible place to find a bathroom in here. Well, you guys know what an outhouse is? Outhouse is the bathroom that's not inside the house. It's outside of the house, out house. It's in the back and it's set far away because you don't have plumbing and so you, you need it to be removed from the house because of the smell and the noise among other things. And so I'm in the garage. I go through the garage. I, I walk into this door. It was already getting dark in the garage. Well, I stepped into this little room and I was like, I don't know about this. I know there's a hole in the floor somewhere and I know what's at the bottom of that hole and I don't want to step in that hole. So I, I was close, but I really couldn't see it because I was wearing sunglasses because it's right outside. So I removed my sunglasses, and at the exact moment that I did, now, these sunglasses have been all over the world with me to many, many different countries, and they have never given me any problem. They had never given me any problem. For some reason that I still don't know to this day, when I took them off like this, the left lens decided, hey, now would be a great time to jump out into the hole full of... Well, you know what's down there, right? When I took my glasses off and I could see what was happening, my first reaction was literally, and I said this loudly, you have got to be kidding me, because I knew exactly where that lens had gone. And that little, that little hole, like I don't think it was a standard outhouse-sized hole. I mean, it was really small. I'm like, gosh, I really want to stay as far away from that thing as I can, because I don't think everybody hit the mark, probably. It was really small. How in the world did my lens manage to jump out right at that time? 
and find that tiny little hole. Like, I, and I didn't hear, I mean, it could still be falling through the earth to China because I did not hear it land for reasons that you don't have to try too hard to figure out. And look what color the lens is, right? So it's like it's dark and there's, it's dark everywhere and it's a dark lens. And, and I'm going, you have got to be kidding me. And my friends are outside going, oh, is everything okay? I can't imagine what they thought was happening when I yelled, you've got to be kidding me. So I said, yeah, yeah, everything's okay. Lost a lens. Well, one of them comes in with his smartphone. So now two of us, we're, we're hitting our heads together, trying to look in the tiny hole with our smartphones. And then we're like, it's all the same color. We could be looking right at it and not even know we're looking at it. So I hate to say it, but that was, the, these are prescription sunglasses, by the way. These are not cheap Mercadorama sunglasses. Oh, Mercadorama doesn't exist anymore, hardly do they? So I didn't get them at Walmart. They're, they're prescription sunglasses because I'm 50 now and I can't see as well as I used to. So, so here's the thing. I was like, God, is there a lesson in this? Because they're expensive and I don't know what to do and now I'm going to have to buy new ones. And, and God's like, oh yeah, I got a lot of lessons for you. And so I'm actually going to share some of the lessons with you guys today. But don't panic. It's not really going to be a, about, it's not going to be potty talk. It's not going to be about what happened in the outhouse, okay? It's what happened after the outhouse when I told my friends, yes, everything's okay, just lost my lens. And I was asking God, you know, I'm a missionary. I don't have a lot of money. What, what's up with this? And God said, well, yeah, just, so think of it like this. And I started to think, what is the purpose of wearing glasses in the first place? Standard prescription glasses? It's because you need to see things clearly. Sunglasses? It's because there's too much light and you can't see well if you don't actually shade the light. Now, I ended up with a pair of glasses that, that didn't do me any good in any sense. Because on this side, I could actually see the brightness, but I, I couldn't see with any definition because I lost the prescription here. And on this side, I couldn't see brightly because... That's what the sunglass lens does, right? It blocks out the light. Although I could see clearly. So I've got two lenses, or one lens, and one side with no lens, and it wasn't serving me well at all. The reason we have glasses, prescription glasses, is because you want definition. Sunglasses, it's because there's too much going on. There's too much activity. There's too, it's too bright, and you need to dim that down so that you can actually see what's going on around you. So with one, you have definition, but but no color or no brightness. And the other you have color or brightness, but no definition. And sometimes when we go to study the Word of God, we end up getting in front of our Bibles with glasses like this. And you end up not seeing with clarity, and you end up not seeing the brightness of the Word of God shining through. And so when we study the Word of God, we need to have the right kind of glasses on. And it can't be a crazy configuration like this. We have to have the kind of glasses that allow us to see the bright light shining, Jesus shining through the Word of God. And we have to be able to see with definition. We want brightness and we want clarity. We want to get everything that we can out of the Word of God. And so this week and next week, what I want to do is use that concept, use that filter, use those right kind of glasses to Gain a little bit of insight, get it, sight, insight, looking into and drawing something out of the Word of God, specifically with respect to the Apostle Paul. And so what we're going to do is we're going to say, this is about Paul for us all. 
One of the problems when we begin to study the Apostle Paul is we start to develop stereotypes. Or we start to have either an unclear image of who Paul really is, or we're not gaining the full light of truth about who Paul really is, and we don't learn what we need to learn. Now, this, this is actually true in any study of Scripture. So when you get to the Word of God, when you get into the Word of God, and when you think about the things of God, ask yourself first, do I have the right glasses on? And the, and the way you do that, because we're not literally going to, well, you might literally, I do now literally put on glasses when I'm reading the Bible. You may not need glasses, but you do need to ask the Holy Spirit to open the eyes of your heart. That's the prayer in Ephesians chapter 1, right? Open the eyes of my heart so that we may know Him intimately. That's what Paul's prayer was for the church in Ephesus. And so that's what we're doing this morning, and I hope you'll do that every time you study the Word of God. Put on those spiritual glasses. Holy Spirit, open my eyes so that I may know you better as a result of this study. And in this case, we want to know the Apostle Paul better. We don't, we don't want to just have barely enough information. Because if we have sunglasses on, it's going to allow in barely enough light. We don't want to have an adequate amount of information. We want to have the complete and fullest amount of insight that we possibly can as we study about the Apostle Paul. Next week, I'm going to get into a Greek word from the book of Philippians, and it's phroneo. And it's an amazing word, because it's a word that actually functions like these crazy sunglasses. It's a, it's a word, well actually let's not talk about the crazy sunglasses, let's talk about good glasses. It's a word that functions, that does the two things that we're trying to do. It gives us the two dimensions of clarity and brightness, definition and brightness. And so phroneo tells us how to think about things and how to feel about those things. And so this study today and next Sunday is, let's look at the Apostle Paul and let's try to maybe discard some of the the misunderstandings that we have about him. And then let's try to see really clearly what Scripture teaches about Paul, about his life, about his ministry that is relevant for us. So first of all, I want to ask a question. What is it, when I started talking about the Apostle Paul, did you start processing in your mind, oh yeah, Paul, I know who Paul is. Or maybe you said, Paul, I'm not even a Christian yet. I don't know who Paul is. Or I'm a Christian, but I'm a baby Christian. I've really not studied the Bible. I don't know who Paul is. You have a reaction. I don't know who he is, or I know who he is. And when you know who he is, you really just think you know who he is. That's what the journey is today. That's why we study the Apostle Paul, to bring more clarity, to bring more definition. So whatever you think you know, let's pray that that's actually true. And let's see if we can add to it. But maybe, maybe you thought, yeah, I know who Paul is. He's a theologian. And you wouldn't be wrong, right? Because didn't Paul write basically half of the New Testament in terms of content? More than half in terms of number of books? So the Apostle Paul, he was one that God unnaturally, in a sense, spiritually chose, brought into the family for some great purpose. And some people are going to say that great purpose, the reason that God pulled Saul out of a life of persecuting Christians and made him into Paul who lived a life sacrificially for the glory of God. God did that so that he could be a great theologian, so that he could write half of the New Testament and then 2,000 years of church history would be influenced by Paul's writing. 
you wouldn't be wrong. Because if you've read the book of Romans, you're going, yeah, Paul's a theologian. If you've read the first half of Ephesians, or the first half of Colossians, for example, where Paul becomes very theological, he is, he's not even saying, here's what the application is yet. He's just saying, here's the theological belief system. This is what you have to understand in order to be able to have good practice. You talk about orthodoxy, right teaching, so you have orthopraxy, the right kind of practice. And so if you're camping out on that side where Paul is the theologian, he's giving us doctrine, you wouldn't be wrong because of books like Romans or the first half of Ephesians or Colossians or if you love one of the most amazing chapters in all of Scripture, uh, the first part of Philippians chapter 2. Jesus, God becomes man and empties himself out on behalf of a fallen world. That's crazy. And that's theological. And you've got to understand it if it's going to have any relevance to your life. So if you think, yep, Paul's a theologian, I knew that. And I'm saying you're right. Paul was absolutely a theologian. But is that all he was? Remember, we're using our glasses. We're trying to get clarity. So some of you might have thought, well, yeah, but wasn't Paul developing all of that theology while he was doing mission trips? Isn't Paul really kind of a missionary? In fact, he, since he was a theologically adept missionary, could we call him a missiologist like Mark Johnson? Doctor? Mark Johnson, he's, he, if you guys don't know this, he has a doctorate in missiology. That means he understands theology and missions. So some of you might go, yeah, well, Paul was a missionary missiologist because he had all that deep underpinning, but then he actually put it to work. He made something happen. And he even was developing his, his theology while he was doing missions. So, so I'm going to say that Paul was a missiologist and a missionary. And if you say that, you're not wrong. He was that as well. And you might go to places like Romans 15, 20, where he says it's always been his ambition to preach the gospel where Christ was not known. So if you're, if you're using that as your filter, yeah, he was absolutely a missionary. If you're in Romans, go to the beginning of the book. If you're in verse 5 of chapter 1, through him we received grace and apostleship. This is Paul talking and describing himself and others like him. We received grace and apostleship to call all the Gentiles, all of the non-Jewish ethnic groups in the world to the obedience that comes from faith for his name's sake. For the name of Christ, we have been called and we've been given this task, we've been given this mission to bring the nations into obedience, to bring them into followership, to make them become worshipers of Jesus. Yeah. You could say that Paul was a missionary. Colossians 1, 28 and 29. If that's your reference for Paul, then you're going to say he's a missionary because he says we proclaim him, Jesus, admonishing everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone complete in Christ. And for this purpose, here it comes. He's not just developing theology. He says there's a reason for it. And for this purpose also I labor, striving according to Christ's power which mightily works within me. He's on a mission. You're not wrong if you think he's a missionary. You weren't wrong if you thought he was a theologian. 
Some of you are going to go, yeah, but all of those verses that you just said to describe him as a theologian or describe him as a missionary, they minister to my life. They bring me comfort. They bring me consolation. They help me be transformed into the image of Christ. And I think that's what Paul was trying to do. And so therefore, I think that Paul was a pastor. And I I think he had some great administrative skills. Maybe he was an executive pastor. I think he had some great teaching skills. Maybe he was a teaching pastor. But but for me, Paul's a pastor. And you wouldn't be wrong. if If you look at books like Corinthians, either one, for example, he's pastoring the believers. He's pastoring the church in Corinth. Or the second, remember I mentioned Ephesians and Colossians. If you go to the second half of those books, then you see that all of that teaching becoming really practical and pastoral. And when you, when you look at passages in Romans or these other books that I've talked about that Paul wrote, and you see things like the justification of God, and you see things like the armor of God, and you see things like the fruit of the Spirit, you understand that what Paul was trying to do is to teach people and pastor them into becoming transformed in the image of Jesus. Now, if I just said to you, if, if what it sounds like I just said to you is that Paul's a theologian, Paul's a missionary missiologist, Paul's a teacher pastor, I did just say all of those things. And so now you're going, but... Can that possibly be right? Because I didn't think that everybody had all of the gifts. I didn't think that everybody had all of the callings. I didn't think that everybody could do everything. I didn't think that we could be superheroes. So Paul, he must be a superhero. He must just be like the saint of all saints. He must be far, far beyond any of the other people that get to carry the name saint. If you come from a Catholic background, you understand what I'm talking about. Now, parenthetically, who is it that carries the name saint? Many of Paul's letters start off by being addressed to whom? To the saints in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus. To the saints. That's us. That's all of us. If you belong to Jesus, you're a saint. So forget about all of that ecclesiastical and church history tradition of naming certain people saints. In reality, if you belong to Jesus, you are a saint. And what that means is you're a holy one. You're a called one. You're a separated one. You are somebody that he has chosen to bring into his family for your good and for his glory. But that's not what we're talking about. We're we're using kind of that old school uh, church history tradition of saints. Well, there are very few of them. And, and, And what we're kind of saying is that Paul must be the saint of all saints then. Paul must be the most incredible because he was a superhero because he was all of those things we just talked about. Now, if you go to Romans 1, verse 18, for example, the first half, Paul says, I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me. Paul doesn't say things like, I will tell you all about what I have done. I'll tell you what I'm capable of. I'll tell you about my skills. I'll tell you about my talents. I'll send you my resume. And when you look at my resume, you're going to go, wow, you're amazing, Paul. He never did that. What he did do is say, I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me. And man, was that a lot. It's not 
wrong if you start to think he kind of seems like a superhero because look at everything that he did. And it's kind of true. But look at everything that God does through everyone who walks in obedience. Who walks in fellowship with Jesus Christ. Who understands that they live for the praise of His glory. Who, who digs into the Word with their right kind of glasses on to get the full richness of the Word of God and then to live it out accordingly. It's just that not everybody's as famous as the Apostle Paul. So was he a superhero? He was obedient to God. Is Billy Graham a superhero? He was obedient to God. But it still seems like... uh, Here's what Samuel Bringle says. He says, God uses me, but I am so concerned that He uses me and not that it is of me that the work is done. The axe... You know what the axe is, right? It's what you use to chop down a tree. Not to play baseball. To chop down a tree. That's what an axe is. He says the axe cannot boast of the trees it has cut down. It could do nothing if not for the woodsman. He made it. He sharpened it. And he used it. Do you see the analogy here? Whatever the tool is, the tool doesn't get credit. It's the person who was using the tool that gets the credit. The axe didn't chop the tree down. It was the person holding the axe that chopped the tree down. Paul doesn't get the glory. It's the person who used Paul that gets the glory. The thing is, we still go and think, yeah, but Paul wasn't an axe. Paul was a chainsaw. He was just chopping down trees left and right. Like I might chop down one tree in my life, or two, or five, or ten. Paul chopped down a whole forest because he was a chainsaw. There goes one. There goes another. There goes another. And you're, the, Paul just chopped down three trees and you hit your tree one time with your axe. And that was it. You're like, he had to have been a superhero. But he wasn't. He was a man who was obedient. And now, if, you don't, if your reaction at the beginning was, I don't know who Paul is, let me tell you real quick who Paul was. In Acts 13, 11, he caused Elimus to go blind. Paul just had this supernatural relationship with God and God made somebody blind through the instrument of Paul. In Acts 28, Paul was bitten by a venomous snake. And just like everybody else at that time, he should have died. And just like you probably would, and I probably would, but he didn't. What was going on? What's up with this guy? In Philippians 1 and 3, and in other places in Scripture, you find Paul in jail. And he's not complaining about the fact of being in jail. He's leading the prisoners to Christ. He's leading the guards to Christ. He's writing letters to churches to pastor them, because he's a pastor. To teach them theology, because he's a theologian. To get them off of their rear ends, out into the world for the glory of Christ, because he's a missionary. That's what Paul's doing when he's in jail. He's not, I'm in jail. Come on, God, what's up with that? I don't deserve this, God. That's not Paul. Paul says in Philippians chapter 21, sorry, those of you that do know the Bible know that there are not chapters, 21 chapters in Philippians. 121, chapter 1, verses 21. Paul says that for me, Paul, to live 
is Christ. Meaning to live is to serve Christ, to live is to worship Christ, to live is to become conformed into the image of Christ. But to die is even better. To die is gain. Because to die, I get to be in the presence of Christ. He's in jail and he's going, hey, this is great. This is awesome. For me to live in jail, I get to serve Christ, love Christ, worship Christ. But if I die, that's even better. In chapter 3 of Philippians, he says, whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. I really was pretty awesome. And, And there are places where he talks about his pedigree, how he had been trained in the best tribe of all he belongs to the best tribe of all the tribes of israel he's trained by the best trainers teachers rabbis of all that are available i mean he he really was pretty awesome from a human perspective he says that's all garbage for me it's in the past it's in the trash it's in the floor of the outhouse together with jason's left sunglasses lens it's that's what it is for me it's nothing it has no value whatsoever it's all lost for the sake of the lord jesus christ in acts 20 24 he says i consider my life worth nothing to me if only i may finish the race and complete the task that the lord jesus has given me the task of testifying to the gospel of god's grace now if that sounds like a superhero to you Everything that he ever wrote, because of the Holy Spirit giving him the words to write, and the fact that they actually were written down. You know, writing is amazing. When you write something down on paper, what does that do? Or, or something similar. Like, not, not on the internet, not electronically, not in the ether where it could just evaporate one day or be erased. When it's on paper, it's there for good. Why is that so important? Because what's written on paper, let's talk about books. Why are books so important? Because books can cross time and books can cross geography. And so 2,000 years later, on completely different continents, we've got the Word of God. And what Paul wrote to those churches 2,000 years ago, the Holy Spirit was writing for us today. So everything that we see about Paul potentially is true of us as well. So there was nothing super about Paul in the sense that he was a mere man. He was a human being who loved Jesus, who served Jesus, who worshipped Jesus, who was crazy for Jesus. If Paul says that he considers his life worth nothing to him, can we not say the same thing? If Paul was willing to rejoice while he was in prison and serve God while he was... Can we not rejoice when things don't go the way that we want them to? Or the way that we hope that they would or could or should? We can. And that's why... Paul, in 1 Corinthians 11, verse 1, and then this will kind of start to prepare us for the transition to next week. Paul says, be imitators of me. Do what I do. But he doesn't stop there. Imitate me because, you guys know it, help me out. Be imitators of me because I am an 
imitator of Christ. Be like me because I'm like Christ. Whatever I can do, if, if Jesus said that what he does for the Father is awesome and that his followers would do greater things, it, you just need to understand what that means. Think, to keep it simple, think in terms of quantity, maybe as opposed to quality. Jesus is sending out his, his people to the nations to do great things all around the world, all throughout history. If Jesus says that to his followers, Paul was one of them. And then Paul says that to us. That's what discipleship is. Jesus had his disciples. His disciples had their disciples. And the process continued on for 2,000 years. That's why we're here today. Because the gospel was never held up. Because nobody chose to evangelize and share Christ. There was always somebody. There have always been the faithful throughout church history who have shared Christ. They have imitated Paul like Paul imitated Christ. And so when we get ready for the Lord's Supper, in fact, I mentioned 1 Corinthians 11, that's one of the passages that we often go to when we talk about the Lord's Supper. And Pastor Israel is going to be leading the Lord's Supper in just a minute. But as we go there, I want to give us this final encouragement. When we see in 1 Corinthians 11, and I don't know if he's actually going to use that passage today, but it says before you take the Lord's Supper, you're supposed to examine yourselves. And what that means is you, you humbly before God say, Holy Spirit, is there sin in my life? Because it would be a tragedy. It would be shameful, and it could potentially bring a curse. It could bring, I don't want to get too, don't, don't, don't freak out with that word. I don't think we're supposed to freak out with it. If you take the Lord's Supper without fully recognizing the Lordship of Christ, that would be problematic. The point of the Lord's Supper is to remember that Jesus is the Lord of your life. And He's the Lord of the universe. And that you belong to Him. And that you belong to the body of Christ. So, when you examine yourselves, I want to help us two ways to examine ourselves. Because we, remember, we're using our glasses. We really want to see clearly and brightly. We want to have definition, and we want to have the light of the Word of God. The two mistakes that we make, and this is what I'm asking you to do, ask yourself, have you made one of these two mistakes? As you consider the Apostle Paul. The two mistakes that we make are to elevate Paul over ourselves and assume that we can never be like him. Have you ever thought... The Bible is full of these superheroes, especially Paul. And there's no possible way that I can be like him. He just had something special going on with Jesus, and I don't have it. That's not the right way to react to the Apostle Paul, or anything that he taught, or anything that he did, or who he was. That's why when Paul says things like Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. He's actually affirming to the church in Philippi that if I can do it, we all can do it because we all belong to the same God. We all serve and have the same Holy Spirit in us. I love the language that he uses often, which is that Christ is in us. And he also says that we are in Christ. Christ is in us. We're in Christ. Therefore, we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. He doesn't set himself aside saying, I'm better, I'm different. And try as you might, you'll never be like me. He says, follow my example, back to 1 Corinthians chapter 11, because I follow the example of Christ. So don't elevate Paul over yourselves. And as you get ready for the Lord's Supper, and, you, and if you know that you are a Christ follower, 
If you know that you belong to Jesus, if you recognize him as the Lord of your life, then you're asking him to show you this. And you're saying, Jesus, have I elevated Paul in such a way that the, the truth of your word that you're trying to teach to me, I'm basically just ignoring or, or setting aside. And it's not because I don't like your word. I love your word. But I just don't think it's ever possible for me to do those things that Paul did. If that's your attitude, as you move into the Lord's Supper, then let's ask Jesus to just clean that out. If that's your attitude, it's like kind of like the left lens here that fell into the garbage. And, and what we're asking, Jesus, please just take it out of the garbage. Redeem, renew, restore, and give me your vision for who I am as your child and for your purpose for me as your child. And if Paul could do it, and if you could use Paul, a, a tremendous sinner, then I know that you can use me too for your honor and glory. The second mistake that we sometimes make is to elevate not Paul over us, but to elevate Paul over Jesus. There are people, believe it or not, that, that are so enthralled with the Apostle Paul, they would never say this. They would never say, I like Paul more than I like Jesus. But if you look at the, the focus of their studies and the efforts that they put into getting to know the Apostle Paul, they're forgetting the main point, which is that Paul says, through me, look at Jesus. Because of me, be like Jesus. And so as we move into the Lord's Supper, if you feel like, oh, you know, some of us who, and I'm not, actually some of you, because I'm not putting myself in this category, who are real heady and we love to study and we love theology and we start to dig in. And you're like, well, Jesus, I mean, I read the Gospels and there's some really cool stuff in there about how Jesus served people. And how he even went to the cross. But Jesus didn't talk the way that Paul does. So Jesus going to the cross, we learn about, but Paul really explains it in Philippians chapter 2. Oh yeah, so I'm going to Philippians chapter 2. Forget the Gospels, because Jesus is there, and I love Jesus, but I really want to dig in deeply to what that all means. If we're not careful, we end up elevating Paul over Jesus. And so that's again, the left lens is down in the pit, it's in the garbage, it's in the junk, and we're asking God to say, you know what, that left lens, that, that wrong impression that you have, that attitude that you have of putting Paul over Jesus, that right now, the way that is, that's in the garbage, that's just crappy, and we don't, that's not, so I'm going to redeem that. And, and it's through the Lord's Supper that he does it, because when we listen to what the Holy Spirit has to say, he says, there's, there's some garbage there, there's some crap sorry i hope that's in, in like my english where i come from crap is not really a bad bad word it's just like a generic kind of eh. uh, mark and karen am i on uh, i yeah because i i mean that's it's not like the really bad word so don't don't freak out if you i'm not saying really you know foul language here but it's foul to the lord when we actually get these wrong attitudes of either saying Paul's above me and I can never be like Paul. Or Paul's above Jesus, so I just, I just want to look at Paul all the time. Over to you. Let's just move right into the Lord's Supper. If I don't stop now, I'll just keep on preaching. Um, and, and there is a whole second half to this sermon, which I'm going to preach next Sunday. So if you want to come back, you, it might be good. And, and I might have these glasses next Sunday just, just to remind you of how we got started off, but don't worry, I won't be bringing crazy stuff like this again.